Well, amen. This morning we're going to continue our study in Joseph. Joseph is a true rags to riches story. Uh, he overcame uh, incredible odds, hatred by his brothers. Uh, he was sold into slavery, falsely accused of sexual assault, thrown into prison and, and forgotten. Uh, but God was with Joseph, we've seen thus far in the story, and he became incredibly successful. Uh, God blessed him in, in ways we can't even imagine, with health, with position, with fame. Uh, and before we, before we get into his story, I want to remind you of a few things today. Today we're going to be talking about God and prosperity, and how God has blessed Joseph with prosperity. But I want you to, to understand that riches do not indicate God's favor. There are strong believers who have nothing, and there are atheists who have a whole lot. Riches do not necessarily mean that God's blessings are all over your life. Some people teach if you love Jesus, you'll have wealth. If you sow your seed, give with faith, you'll receive financial rewards. I want you to understand riches are not the primary way that God blesses believers. Jesus promised us abundant life, not an abundant bank account. And we have to, to not pin our hopes on what we have in this world. We might have wealth, we might not. If not, don't be angry with God. Be grateful for the treasure that you promised in heaven. If so, if God has blessed you with wealth, and I would say, I know most of us would say, well, not me. And the rest of the world would look at this room. In fact, I would say the rest of Kentucky would look at this room and say, absolutely you. If you've been blessed with wealth, Remember, you should use your wealth for the glory of God and for the spreading of the gospel, not simply for selfish pursuits. Give sacrificially. Help out hurting people. Think of how you can be a blessing to others. Don't uh, waste all you get on you. Be faithful with your wealth. Now, I know that's a lot easier said than done. And I'm going to say something now that some people probably would not agree with immediately, but I think you will in a couple minutes. It's a lot easier to be faithful in adversity than it is prosperity. You know, some people would dispute this and say, no, 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 no way. Adversity is way more difficult. We see a person going through a hard time and, and we think, oh man, I hope they don't lose their faith. Or, or we see someone else suffering in tragedy, or we see a person who's living in third world conditions, and we wonder, how do they believe? How do they hang on? And yet we all know people who are in those exact situations who do. People who are, 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 are dirt poor in places that are incredibly impoverished, and yet they, they're faithful. Or people who, who go through incredibly difficult health circumstances and they're faithful or people who don't have a penny to their name in our families and they seem so happy and they're faithful we've seen people who've suffered incredible tragedies who are faithful adversity is difficult but we could all give examples of people who faced adversity and yet faced it very faithfully But yet we have a hard time thinking of folks who've been blessed with a lot, who've been faithful. The British essayist Thomas Carlyle said, Adversity's hard on a man, but for every one man who can stand prosperity, there are a hundred who can stand adversity. 
He's right. Prosperity ruins more people than, than difficulty ever does. The Bible's filled with people who, whose lives began with a close walk with God, but then drifted away as they became successful. I think of King Saul. You remember King Saul? All we remember is him throwing spears at David and how crazy he was. But, but his life started it, it with such humility that whenever God was going to anoint him as king, do you remember he hid behind the hay bales because he said, I'm not that guy. But prosperity is hard on a man. His successor, King David, a man after God's own heart was blessed with expansion of kingdoms, expansion of wealth, and expansion of influence. And yet, we know how great his fall was. His son, King Solomon, blessed with wisdom, riches that we can't even fathom in our day. He, he would uh, parallel the, the, the Bill Gateses uh, in, in our time. And, and, and Solomon went nuts. He couldn't handle his, his prosperity. Over and over, we, ex- we see examples of people who, 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 who couldn't handle it when their cup was full. Prosperity brings subtle seduction that erodes character and values. Oswald Sanders said not everybody can carry a full cup. And I think he's right. There's plenty of evidence that that not many people can maintain spiritual balance when life is going well. People inherit a lot of money and they were so faithful to God, but all of a sudden they've got the money to run and do and go and spend and, and God becomes a distant memory in their life. Or a Christian singer becomes uh, an overnight success on The Voice. And that Christian singer who, who loved nothing more than to sing Great is Thy Faithfulness in church now all of a sudden can't be found in a church. Or talent gets a young man into pro athletes and nobody's surprised when he squanders all he has and his testimony. Promotion has its pitfalls. There's always some danger to prosperity. And as I prepared this week, I asked myself, why? Why do we struggle so much with adversity? When God blesses us in a room like this where so many people have so many blessings, why do we struggle with with faithfulness uh, whenever prosperity comes our way? I, I think one reason is pride. I mean... Pride comes before a fall, the Bible says. Uh, uh, An arrogant spirit uh, uh, comes before a fall, pride before destruction. It's easy to achieve status and wealth, and and all of a sudden you feel superior, become snobbish. It doesn't happen instantly, and, and it doesn't happen intentionally, but gradually it just seems to happen. An arrogant spirit develops with those who have a lot. Uh, sometimes it's indulgence. Uh, you remember the rich man in the story Jesus told who had so much luxury. He lived a lavish life, but he ignored the beggar who was going through the garbage. When we prosper, it's easy to, to get used to the best vacations. It's easy to get used to the top restaurants. It's easy to get used to the best golf courses, the finest fishing vacations, while blocking out the needy around us. Albert Schweitzer, a missionary who lived till uh, 90 years old, always wore the same suit. He was very unpretentious for 
for almost 40 years, he wore the exact same hat every day. Uh, He had one black tie. He wore the same tie every day for 20 years until it wore out. He he was told one time that a fellow missionary had 12 ties, and, and Schweitzer said, 12 ties for one neck? I don't understand. Contrast that with the TV evangelist who asked for a private jet from people who are giving out of their Social Security money. We need to realize one of the pitfalls of prosperity is indulgence. And while we might not be to the extreme where we're asking for private jets, it's so easy to get so comfortable with the finer things that we ignore those in need around us. False security. People put their hope in riches, though they know they shouldn't. Jesus told of a successful farmer who, who had a good year, and he said, hey, I'm going to build barns and, and bigger barns, and I'm going to store up for myself. And Jesus said of that man, you're a fool. This night your life is demanded of you, and the things that you've prepared for, whose will those be? That's why he told us in Luke 12, verse 15, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not found in the abundance of their possessions. And and as dangerous as these things are, pride, indulgence, you know, uh, 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 false security, maybe the most dangerous is that we get distracted when we have a lot. When things go well, we get so busy, we don't have time for anything. We don't have time for God. We don't have time for church. We never mean for it to be that way. In our mind, nothing's changed. But our lifestyle gets so hectic that that we have no time for spiritual matters. Have you ever had that happen? Maybe you have money to travel on the weekends and church gets pushed aside. Maybe you're asked to represent your company with with nights and nights out of town. And you're making a lot of money, but your, your kids will understand. Maybe you face sleepless nights and unsolvable problems because you feel people put constant pressure on you. And you're so under the gun that when you do come to worship, you can't focus. You're so tired that you don't have time. You don't have energy to fellowship with Christians the way you once did. You just want to go home. You want to shut everything out. You want to relax. You find yourself running with a new group of friends and they have habits not consistent with your moral values and gradually you begin to compromise. Satan distracts in prosperity to the point where people become a shell of who they once were. 1 Timothy 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. You brought nothing into this world, you're not going to take anything out of it. Verse 8 says, But if we have food and clothing, we should be content with these things. Verse 9, Those who want to be rich fall into temptation, into a trap. And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pain. It happens over and over again. Not many people can carry a full cup. But Joseph did. In fact, I can't think of a man in the Scripture who handled fame and wealth and power any better than Joseph did. Few have 
have had as much power as Joseph, and few have risen from the ashes to the heights that Joseph ascends to. Uh, If you remember last week, we left off, Joseph was in prison. Uh, The cupbearer had a dream, and he uh, shared that dream, and and the cupbearer was delivered from prison. Uh, An interpretation of that dream, and the cupbearer was delivered from prison. Well, after a couple of years, the Bible says that Pharaoh had two dreams. They were weird, and they were vivid, and he couldn't get them off his mind. And the first dream was one of like seven fat cows, and these seven fat cows were just standing there grazing, doing their moo thing that cows do. You know, and all of a sudden, some thin, ugly cows came up, and they swallowed them whole. The, the, and the, the seven skinny cows remained skinny. Then he had a second dream. Weird. There were seven plump, healthy ears of corn, and they were swallowed by seven thin uh, ears of corn. And yet the thin ears of corn, though they swallowed them, think of a snake swallowing an animal. The bulge in the middle of that snake. These these cows ate these fat cows, and yet they remained thin. The corn ate the fat corn, and it remained small. And Pharaoh just couldn't get it off his mind. It doesn't work this way. And so he called in all of his counselors for interpretation. These counselors were knowledgeable in Egyptian writers, but they couldn't, they couldn't unravel the meaning. They were skilled in the ways of the world, but they had no spiritual understanding. And Pharaoh's frustrated. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer remembers something. That's where we pick up the story. Genesis 41. Then the chef, chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I, I, I remember my faults. Uh, you were angry with us, Pharaoh. You put me and the chief baker into the custody of the captain of the guard. And, and we both had dreams the same night. Each one had its own meaning. And there was this young Hebrew, this slave of the captain of the guards, and he was there. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted our dreams for us. And each one had its own interpretation. Uh, Pharaoh's intrigued by this because this dream's driving him crazy. And so he ordered Joseph to be brought from the prison to the palace. Now, for Joseph, the day began like any other day. Uh, No advance warning, no hope of release, just another day in the dungeon. But all of a sudden, the warden says, you've been summoned to Pharaoh's palace to interpret a dream. You've been remembered. Verse 14, Pharaoh sent quickly for Joseph, and, and they brought him from the dungeon. They shaved and changed his clothes and he 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 went to pharaoh and you know i thought what does that mean he shaved and changed his clothes pharaoh doesn't like mustaches and beards i guess that's what it means but i I, probably not it means he was dirty he'd been in the dungeon for some times he stunk he needed to be cleaned up he needed to look right in front of pharaoh and so pharaoh brings joseph in, in there and in this encounter we learn some things immediately about Joseph that we need to grab a hold of. Number one, Joseph doesn't hold a grudge. You know, what I, mean? I mean, think about this. Verse 15 tells us, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. Uh, now, Joseph didn't say, Pharaoh, before I interpret your dream, I, I want to say a word about your cupbearer. That no good scoundrel left me in jail for two years even though I'm the reason that he's out? If anybody had a half a brain, I would have been serving you already. If you're trusting your life in him, you know, he's a bum. You know, there's no indication of that at all. Um, In in the balance of his life, 
Joseph never spoke a resentful word, and Joseph had reason. I mean, think of everything that's happened. But not one resentful word against his brothers, against Potiphar's wife, against Potiphar, against the cupbearer. Joseph has this remarkable disposition. He believes God's working and he wasn't bitter. A second thing that jumps off the page to me is Joseph doesn't promote himself. He has an impressive resume, but he doesn't have to tell everyone. When asked to interpret, he didn't say, well, I've been known to interpret a dream or two. You know, lay it on me. No, verse 16, I'm not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh. It's God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I can't do it, God will. Joseph never promotes himself. He could have, and here's his chance. But Joseph left matters in God's hands, and Joseph gave God the credit. After Pharaoh relates his dreams, Joseph gives a clear interpretation, so clear that everybody can understand it. Uh, Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven ripe heads are seven years. These dreams mean the same thing. Verse 27, the seven thin, ugly cows that came up after the, the seven years are seven worth, uh, are, are, and the seven worthless scorched heads of grain are seven years of famine. It is just as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Verse 29, there's going to be seven years of great abundance in the land of Egypt. Joseph went further. He not only interprets the dream, but he also gives a recommendation. He suggested in the good years, Pharaoh ought to have a manager to develop a a conservation system so the nation could survive by uh, uh, when it got tough uh, through a rationing plan. He said, just require one-fifth of everybody's harvest during prosperous years be given to the government, and they won't even miss it. It'll be so prosperous that that their life will still be better, but it'll be stored up for a rainy day. Or a non-rainy day, I guess. Verse 33, so now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Now some people think that Joseph is promoting himself. I, I, I don't think Joseph was saying, I'm the man. Joseph just wanted out of jail. He never dreamed what would happen next. Verse 37, the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And to Joseph's astonishment, Pharaoh offers him a job. And immediately, he becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt. And his fame spreads throughout Pharaoh's uh, kingdom. He's in prison one day and in the palace the next. Verse 39. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one as intelligent and wise as you are. You are the man. And look at the symbols of prestige that that Pharaoh uh, places onto, onto Joseph. Pharaoh said, I'm placing you all over all the land of, of Egypt. He gives him first authority. The whole land was under his control. Uh, the, the, the task is overwhelming, but imagine this task for a 30-year-old. Remember, though, he's been given authority before, and he's been faithful in Potiphar's house and in prison, and he handled it well. And I might just add a principle in Scripture that you find over and over. If you want God to give you uh, more opportunity to serve him, be faithful in the little things. In, in Matthew 
25, the Bible says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of more. Share in the master's joy. Joseph had been trained by God to cope with authority behind the scenes, and he, now he's ready. And, and Pharaoh also gives him riches. Verse 42, it says that he had this gold chain placed around his neck. Uh, uh, he, he, he was given a signet ring uh, by, by Pharaoh. Uh, this ring's like Pharaoh's signature. He'd stamp a, a fresh clay as a seal that the order of the word of the directions were just as good as if Pharaoh were saying this. It's like Pharaoh had given him like an unlimited MasterCard and told him to do good work. He was given new clothing. Verse 42. The Bible says that uh, Pharaoh gave him fine linen garments that he was that he was to wear. You know, he had lost two coats and now God's provided a royal garment. He had been bound by chains and shackles around his neck in the dungeon and now he has a new gold chain of royalty. And then verse 45 tells us that he's given a new name. Verse 45. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath. We'll, we'll go with that, right? Zephanath Paneah, uh, and he gave him a wife, Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. He gives them this this new name, and his name means new name means revealer of secrets, or a better way of interpreting it is God speaks through him. Uh, Joseph had, had truthfully had his name tarnished a bit, hadn't he? I wonder what the whispers were like around Joseph's house after he'd been thrown in prison because of the alleged assault on Potiphar's wife. Just a Hebrew who does such a bad thing, but now he's given a new name. The new name's a a symbol of a clean slate. You know, that reminds me in the New Testament as a believer, we're given a new name. Praise the Lord, we're given a clean slate. When you become a Christian, this symbolizes that your past is over. Those accusations of the enemy, they can't stick anymore. The one who says you are worthless is wrong because God has given you a new name. He has called you His child. And He has set you apart for His service. And so when people look at us, they can't say, Oh, I know you. You're just that same old Nick who used to do that same dumb stuff. And I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm a child of God who's been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I've been made completely new. Praise the Lord, that's for all of us who've given our life to Christ. Jesus, uh, Joseph's success was quick and overwhelming, and truthfully, most people couldn't handle it. But Joseph handled it well, and I think the reason he handles it well is because he was willing to be used by God. When Pharaoh offered Joseph the position, he didn't refuse it. Now, you may wonder, why would he refuse it? Well, I can give you a couple reasons. One, he's been managing for other people all his life. You know, like to get out and do his own thing. Maybe go back to Jacob in his homeland. And, and, and he's already seen that if he makes a mistake, it's off with his head. 
You know, it's his neck at stake. When when Pharaoh offered him the job, he could have put his head down and said, you know, Pharaoh, I'm flattered, but I'm just not qualified. I'm too young. I'm a foreigner. I've been in prison. But he accepted the opportunity from Pharaoh. Guys, if God wants you to be obedient, I pray you will be. I pray you'll say yes to him. Uh, In my former church, I had a member who was contemplating running for office. I saw him in the hallway one day, and, and I thanked him. And I said, man, I'm praying for you. I pray it goes well. And he was at retirement age, and he had recently left his position at 30 years. And it just, I don't know, it popped into my mind. And I said, what made you choose to serve? You know, what, why did you continue to do this? You know, I thought you might kick back and retire. And he said, me too, but I got to thinking about it. And and my wife and I got to talk about all I could do around the house, and I realized it'd be way too much work. So I decided to run for public office. And that's good, because the Bible says when the righteous thrive, people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, people groan. Joseph knew that if he didn't accept the position, some wicked, selfish man would. Before you shy away from what God calls you to do, if your heart is pure and you want God's glory, remember... The role that you're turning down might be taken by someone else who doesn't care about the kingdom of God. And besides, Joseph knew that exaltation doesn't come from the east or the west or the desert. Exaltation being raised up comes from God. And so he took the job. And and another sign of of how he handled this prosperity is he just kept working hard. It's who he was. He was a blue-collar kind of guy. He just kept doing the work. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Joseph left Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout the land. Uh, Verse 47, during the seven years of abundance, the land produced outstanding harvests. Joseph gathered all the excess food in the land of Egypt during the seven years and put it in the cities. He put the food in every city from the fields around it. Verse 49, so he stored up grain in such abundance like the sand of the sea that he even stopped counting it. You know, you know you're wealthy when you quit counting. And he did. God had blessed him beyond measure in his work. Now notice the action words there. He went out. He traveled. He collected. He stored up. He kept records. Joseph wasn't just looking for leisure time. He got involved and he was thorough. And he kept at it for seven years of abundance. So in the seven uh, lean years... Uh, he was, and he was still right there involved. And, and now Joseph knew how to delegate, but he also knew how to keep track of what's going on. You gotta work. Guys, you gotta work. You wanna be faithful in prosperity? Don't look for other people to do your work. You keep working, and you keep working hard. A Catholic priest was playing golf with a Baptist minister. A Catholic priest got over a putt, about 30 foot, He lined the putt up, and right before he hit it, he crossed himself. 30-foot putt rolled in the hole. Baptist minister got up over a 10-foot putt. He lined it up, putted, missed it. Next hole, Catholic priest got up over uh, about a a 50-foot putt. Lined it up, crossed himself, putted in the hole. Baptist minister misses an 8-foot putt by about 8 feet. 
This goes on for about six holes. And finally, on the sixth hole, the Baptist minister gets up over about a 15-foot putt. And he looks around to see if anybody's looking. And he crosses himself. And he putts. And he misses it. And the Catholic priest said, man, it doesn't help a lick if you can't putt. You know? (laughs) Guys, you can thank God for His goodness and you can pray, but it doesn't help you a lick if you don't work and develop your skills. If you don't be thorough with what God has assigned you to do, let us not be lazy in the work that God has called us to do. Let us not get to a position where we've worked our... I, I, I love the phrase that young preachers like to use, I'm going to work myself out of a job. That's fine as long as you're going to go to another one and work hard. But if you're going to work yourself out of a job so you don't have to do anything, quit now and save the church the problems. Keep working hard for the kingdom. Work until Jesus comes. Serve faithfully. Don't lay down. He might lead you on to some other place. He probably will. He might lead you to develop people who can do the task you're doing right now. He probably will. But he's not leading you to get other people to do the work so you can draw a big check and do nothing. That's the case in every position in the kingdom. We are to reproduce disciples continuously, not so that we can sit back and do nothing, but so that the kingdom can expand. And if hard work using the skills that God has given you is what gets uh, you to a place where the kingdom is advancing, that's what's going to continue helping the kingdom to advance. Work hard. Joseph accepted the position. He gave God thanks, but then he went to work. The third thing that I would tell you to do is use your good fortune to help others. Joseph used his position to benefit others. And I mean, that's, this is God's pattern from the beginning. If he blesses someone with wealth, it is only so that they will be a blessing. Genesis 12, the very first instance where we see God blessing a person with great wealth. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. Joseph looked out for the people of Egypt so that they could survive. And by the way, if you're promoted or blessed with prosperity, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty at all. Instead, give God thanks for his goodness. Look for opportunities to use your influence, your resources to help others for his glory. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 where it says, hey, don't fall in love with money. Godliness with contentment's great gain. You know, if we have food and shelter, that's enough. In that very same chapter, at the end of that chapter, listen to what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Instruct those who are rich in this present age. Don't be arrogant. That's a good thing. You know, don't put your hope on the uncertainty of wealth. That's a good thing. Keep your hope in God. He richly provides us all things to enjoy. Praise the Lord. And here's where a lot of people stop. God's given me all this and I'm supposed to enjoy it. But listen to what he says in the very next verse. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. That's who God has called us to be. Joseph remembered God and he publicly gave thanks without shame. In verse 51 of chapter 41, he says, when his firstborn son is, is, is given to him, he says, God has made me forget all my hardships in my father's house. He, he named his children names that would give glory to God. When he called them, God made for me forget 
And his next son, he would call him, God made me, uh, has made me faithful. I, I, I love the fact that he does this because everybody, every time somebody says, what's your kids' names? He'd tell them, what's that mean? God help me forget. And God has made me faithful. When God promotes you, give, when God gives you prosperity, you have a new house, a new car, continue to give him glory and just say, you know, God has been good to me. You know, but also, I would encourage you to say, I have this position so I can use it for the glory of God. I have what I have for his glory. Fourth, if you have prosperity, maintain a kingdom-focused mindset. Everything you have and all that you are should be for his glory. I, I can't apologize for saying that. I'm not passing the offering plate again, don't worry. I'm not talking about trying to build the budget at Porter. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about what you have for the advancement of the gospel. Using what you have been given for God's glory throughout the world. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Y'all know what I'm doing? I'm letting everybody get done so you can read the word. All right? Here we go. When you eat and are full, you will praise the Lord your God for the good land that he's given you. Moses is not going to get to go into the promised land. He's delivering uh, a sermon in Deuteronomy to help people understand what's going to happen. There's going to be days when they eat and are full, and you should praise the Lord your God for all he's given you. But be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his command, the ordinance, and, and the statutes that he's given. Be, be careful. Verse 12. When you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in, you got lots. Be careful. When you have big things, be careful. When your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold multiply and everything else you have increases, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Verse 15. He led you through great and terrible wildernesses with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of the flint-like rock. You're talking about rags to riches, slaves with nothing to people of a land filled with, with, with milk and honey. He, he says, he, he fed you in the wilderness. He took care of you in order to humble and test you so that in the end, he might cause you to prosper. Verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. We worked hard. Look what I've done. But remember, the Lord God gives you power to gain wealth. In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your fathers as it is today. Who gives you health? Who gives you wealth? I pray that you won't forget. And I'm not talking about just remembering when it's Thanksgiving time and we acknowledge a few things we have. I'm talking about living in a way where you acknowledge the Lord has truly been good to me. You know, the best way to keep yourself faithful in prosperity is perspective. 
we get so caught up and proud with accumulating and accomplishing that we forget, but we must remember that one day we'll all leave it. We'll all leave it behind. We'll stand before God, and what's going to matter is relationships with people, and what, what's really going to matter is our relationship with God. And on that day, our success and accumulation of things will be nothing. But I pray that God will say of you and of me, well done, you good and faithful servant. In this life, I put you in charge of a few things. Come on in and serve with me. Come on in and rule with me. Come on in and enjoy the rest of the eternal kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take the words that were shared today and you would use them for your glory. God, you bless me with far beyond what I could possibly, what I could possibly need, Lord, for myself. Help me to be faithful to use it for the benefit of others. God, I pray that you would forgive us when we're selfish with our with your stuff that you've let us steward. Lord, help us to be faithful in prosperity. And God, I pray that if there's a person here today that doesn't know Christ and the forgiveness that comes from him, I pray, Father God, that they would recognize that there's treasure far greater than anything this world has to offer. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal how beautiful a treasure Jesus is. And Father, I pray, Lord, that people would respond in faith. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. and We have this every week. Uh, uh, if you're a first-time guest, it might be new to you, but for most of us, we have an opportunity for people to respond. You know, let's call it what it is. People in America live for stuff in this life and they don't think about the kingdom to come. Jesus said, real treasures in heaven, not on earth. I pray that you have a heart that recognizes that there is more to, more to your existence than just the stuff you can gain and leave behind. Jesus created you to have a personal relationship with you, to know you intimately. Jesus created you so that you would 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 be his child. Sin separates you from Jesus. Sin that lusts after stuff. Sin that's prideful. That separates you from Jesus. And there'll come a day you'll stand before God. Every person here will stand before God. And the only way that you'll enter into the kingdom is because you've confessed to that pride and that sin. And you've trusted Jesus to cover your sin. If you've never done that, then today I would encourage you to give your heart and life to Jesus. Here's how you can do that today. You can come forward and take a pastor by the hand and say, I, I know I'm not going to heaven. I've been trusting in stuff. You can come today. Maybe you're here today and you've never been baptized. Uh, I don't understand why a person who follows Jesus wouldn't follow Jesus' commands. Jesus commanded to be baptized to show the world you're my follower. We'd love for you today to make a commitment to be baptized. Maybe you'd like to be a part of our church. Uh, we'd love to tell you how you can do that. Or maybe you just want to come and pray and say, God, help me be faithful. If God speaks to you as we stand together and sing, won't you come right now?